This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog. This is the second time I've started this podcast, and this time I'm going to keep it simple. With me today is one person. I am M. Joshua Caller, and I am one person. <laughs> You're not two people. <laughs> nope, I, I, I tried to stop doing that. And we're missing Ted because of technology. Her, her yeah. technology. I love technology. So we'll see in a, if in about a few minutes Ted calls. But yes, if he doesn't, yes. then good luck to Ted. Maybe we'll see him on the other side. <laughs> so I think that, that's a, a pretty good segue to... Uh, it's not really a segue at all. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a random non-sequitur segue to... Um, theology uh, gaming's let's talk about video games episode uh, considering theology we, we, gaming fun cast yeah fun cast woo yeah. we uh, <laughs> we haven't had uh, quite uh, a lot of just talking about just playing games I guess uh, and uh, a lot of serious subjects lately actually. yeah yeah well actually I, I know that we, we're trying to make this all fun but let's let's actually just start with the subject of, of framing. Uh, theology of play because I think that that's something that a lot of a lot of uh, believers and a lot of people who uh, see time uh, going into games and not see uh, a return on investment uh, commonly ask the question like so what is the value of playing games like does that fit into uh, spiritual life and I- I've realized that you know us even talking about it is self justifying considering um, you know we we do uh, but. It's still, it's still a question that I think a lot of people have, um, and uh, it's, it's worth just throwing out. So, Zach, what is what is your theology of play? Like, what, why do you play, and how does that relate to your spiritual formation? I am developing this into either an article series or a book, but oh. as a simplified way of explaining it, I think there's been a long history of mistrust of play and fun in the church. Yeah. I, I think it's entirely for good reasons. Because there's always the way that you could fall too far under that rubric, right? Because sure. fun could be anything, especially to fall in human nature. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of just thinking about it from a theological perspective, most people who believe in natural theology, which is that, you know, kind of God reveals himself through nature, at least in some way, shape, or form, right? Uh-huh. Um, you can look at... How children are naturally born to play with stuff, regardless of their social situation or whatever. It's strange if that children play, even if they have zero things to play with, they will supply their imagination to fill in the gaps. Yeah. And that's always struck me as kind of a weird thing, right? Yeah. So either it's an essential part of human nature, or you could even think of it as part of our creation as part of, you know, in the image of God. Yeah, that's, that's that's definitely a really really good point. Yeah, um, or even the animals play, it, which yeah, is yeah, even stranger yeah. than that. Yeah, that's that's a that's an even uh, an even better point, especially when you look at like when you when you're. So yeah, uh, when it comes to the theolo- the, the theology of play, uh, from from my perspective, um, it's definitely it's definitely good to consider you know what what animals do and stuff like that. But even more than that, I think of like what is what is the actual uh, context of of Sabbath. Um, and when we talk about Sabbath, uh, we talk about it being a place of of rest where we can refocus on God and where we can um, basically just nourish our soul and not not work. Um, it's the absence of work. Um, 
And I think that that's really what comes into question when people bring up the the discussion of of video games is they obviously aren't just for work. <laughs> um, you know, you, you don't play games because you, you want to continue to, to do your job. Um, you play games because you want to do something that's not your job. Um, and so I, I remember uh, when I was in college, I had a buddy, or not college, when I was in, uh, when I was in, in uh, phone service for a brief, brief stint, I had a, a co-worker who, who was Jewish, and he he and I had a, a, a long conversation about the, the nature of video games and Sabbath. Um, and he, he made a really interesting point. He basically said that, you know, I'm not, I'm going to, if it's, if it's Sabbath and I'm trying to, to enjoy myself and, and relax and, 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 uh, meditate on God. Yeah. I'm going to turn everything off and just focus on him. But also, um, it's nice to play a game. Like it's, it's not work. It's definitely not work to play a game. Um, unless it's grinding, um, but that's that's another subject for another time. So, yeah, in in short, I I just think that it it really it kind of fits into the the the, the sense of rest, um, depending upon your game. Yeah, well, Dark Souls maybe not a Sabbath game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe not quite as much. But uh, I mean, I think of quite literally like games like uh, Tengami, which or uh, most adventure games are actually very oriented towards. Uh, rest and uh, taking taking kind of like a, a tension break, if you will. Well, that would be the exact opposite of what I did on Sunday, which was play a whole lot of Mario Kart 8. Yeah, that, I, could, I could see that too. Were you, were you playing Mario Kart 8 by yourself? No, family mostly. Yeah, well, that's that I still think is, is quality, like, fun, happy... Connect. I mean, that's an even better better case for what to do with well, with your family on Sabbath. You know what I mean? Yeah, we'll just crush each other in <laughs> portal cart combat and 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 stare at one another with with uh with the face of death. Yep, we whip a Wiimote at someone's head. <laughs> Things got ugly. <laughs> Did that really happen? No. Oh, <laughs> because uh, that would be awesome. No, it was more like people sitting in chairs. Manipulating carts with various shaped controllers. <laughs> so, are you are you really digging Mario Kart Eight? And is that is that the the first of your? This is what I've been how I've been demonstrating the theology of play games, or you know, just yeah, I guess that would be the first because man, Mario Kart Eight is a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I, I've I've enjoyed it a lot too. We we've been playing it at the rec center, and and it's uh, it's a great way to to just have fun with other people and. It, even even if you don't win, like it's it's still fun, and that's one of the things that I really like about it. Without having some sort of like uh, um, experience feedback loop or something that that like you feel like you have to reward people for losing, um, it's still just fun in that of itself. Without having having it's, like a trickle of rewards, it's a lot more accessible than Mario Kart's have been. I think I don't know, or at least in terms of pick up and play. It seems what do you like think it, that is? It's just been the most accessible for most people because my dad hasn't played Mario Kart in like a decade, probably in a yeah. serious way, and he just picked it up and got right into it, no problem. Yeah, I'm just curious, like what 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 do you think makes it more accessible than Mario Kart Wii? Considering that really kind of lower the bar, and you know you can just steer with your Wii and stuff like that. So I'm just curious if I don't if know. 
because I didn't like Mario Kart Wii at all. I don't know what it was, but huh. and most of the people I know didn't like it either. Even though it sold a whole lot. I know yeah, it sold I mean, like 30 million copies or something. I mean, from a, from a control standpoint, it's still pretty similar uh, to 8 in a lot of ways, except for, of course, you know, the driving on walls and whatnot. Yeah, there's like a sense of refinement about this one, where you can yeah. just kind of just walk right in. Because it feels like Mario Kart Wii was if was based on you having played other Mario Karts. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, and so you would go into it and it'd be like... And then there were things like the vehicle selection, which was weird. And then the automatic well, I, manual steering thing. I couldn't figure out how to power slide for like a year. And then <laughs> I figured out, oh, sorry, manual steering is power slide. And yeah. It, yeah. It was just overly complicated for no reason. Whereas this one, it was just like, oh, pick the character you like, pick the parts you like. It's pretty obvious what everything does after yeah. a while, and then you just jump right in there. That's cool. Yeah, and plus they make the power sliding focus really obvious. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I really didn't think about it that way. I mean, I've I've always been like a, a compulsive power slider, so um, not to say I'm actually good at it. I'm not. I'm 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 usually not not the. Uh, I'm not always the winner, but it's still it's still just uh it it kind of does remind me of one of the worst my worst my favorite terrible movies uh, Tokyo Drift uh, Fast and Furious Three <laughs> I love that movie <laughs> it's so it's, dumb it's so bad it's so so bad but the racing in it is fantastic and the the preoccupation with drifting is is pretty much the, the only awesome thing about any of the the Fast and Furious movies, in my opinion. Drifting in video games is so fun. I don't know why. I have yeah. this intangible love of drifting for yeah. no reason. But and, and Mario Kart just is like, drift, drift, drift. <laughs> but it's not like the Sonic and kart racing game. Yeah, That, that is drifting and excess. I, even though I do like drifting, it might be a little too much when it comes to those games. Yeah, that's understandable. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with one, one of the games that I've been playing. Um I just recently finished uh, Shovel Knight, ooh, which ooh. which I, I uh, briefly hinted at on our last podcast, but I figured that I'd bring that up here. Yes. I'm still I'm still trying to decipher exactly how to explain what is what is fantastic about it, but I think it really boils down to, to, to just a few things. Number one, um, the game teaches you systematically, so there's no uh, overt here. Press A to do this. Um, everything, so the moment that you start the game, you, you jump onto a level, um, it's very clear that you only have a couple of options, and if you've played any side-scroller ever, you know that you go, you, you head right. So, you, very clearly, you get your orientation figured out. You head right, and that's where you go. Um, and you see a pile of dirt there, and you have a shovel. So, you press, you have two buttons, you either jump or dig. Those are your, your those are your available options. So you find out very quickly that this is a game where you can use your shovel to dig. I know that's really stupid and obvious to say out loud. <laughs> but the way that the game teaches you all of its systems and how, how to do everything is so intuitive, like uh, like people <clears throat> excuse me, like people revere Mega the original Mega Man games or Mega Man X, you don't have to explain to players how to play them. They just figure it out because the system itself is designed for you to, to understand how the, the, game, the game world works. Yeah, it intuitively shows you obstacles before they become real threats. That kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that is the most central aspect of the game. Like, you are learning how the world works before it becomes a, a huge problem. Um, and, and, like, at one point you see a bubble over top of a, a gap 
that has uh, a floor on underneath it. And if you don't jump onto the bubble and use your downward shovel pogo attack, then you're going to hit the floor the first time. But later, you're going to die if you don't if you don't hit that that bubble just right. Um, and and that's and that's one of the other central aspects of the game is is pogoing through the levels. Um, and and it just it just does all of that super smart and super well. Um, and progressively, you, you get new abilities and you pay for new things. And you can uh, there's there's a, a, a towns that you can visit. Um, and so I'd I'd say that it has like the original uh, Mega Man style bosses boss levels, but it, it delivers them in a uh, Mario three style hub world. So you have the um, your little shovel knight icon as you're moving over on links on the map uh, to different locations and. And each town does something different for you. Um, and it sounds it, it, like a game that is almost themed around nostalgia, but reconfigured in ways that are good. Right, and and actually the 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 one other thing that I think that is is really central to the experience is is uh, the way that they did checkpointing. It's it's novel for any. It's it's completely different from any other uh, nostalgic game, so to speak, because they borrow from. Um, Dark Souls. I'd say it's kind of like a Dark Souls light feature because when in Dark Souls, when you die, of course you drop a a uh, whatever souls you are carrying. Yeah. Um, but in Shovel Knight, you drop like I'd say maybe thirty percent of whatever loot you're carrying, and so your incentive to continue is is to go back and and to reclaim the loot that you've dropped. Um, and the and, and and of course that's just the only that's actually the only penalty for death other than going back to your previous checkpoint. And if you don't like the ease of uh, the checkpoints or the frequency of the checkpoints, you can uh, pogo on them and destroy them so that when you die, you go much further back and ultimately you have much more loot because, you know, you pogo a checkpoint. Uh, and depending upon how recent how recently you last died, you get way more loot. Um, oh. And so that's, that's the real incentive behind... Uh, be behind the, the the level structure that that makes it really really smart. Well, what and do plus, you buy with the loot first of all? <laughs> oh, oh, sure, great question. Yeah, because um, like you can get all these resources, but if they're not used for anything, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's actually the entirety of the level progression. Also, very similar to Dark Souls, um, you spend them on uh, your your magic and your health, um, or you can use that spend them on. Uh, your that's how you get all your your new skills. You don't when you kill bosses, you don't get their their abilities straight from them. You have to explore the levels and and find the secrets. Like um, very early in the game, you see uh, like a, a misappropriated set of pixels on a wall somewhere, and that's indication where you um, need to, to to shovel the wall and and you'll find like a secret room that way. Um, very similar to like old school old school NES games. Uh, but as you get through the game, you later they, they don't have those subtle hints. You just kind of have to, if you see a wall, you're going to go and check to see whether it has any flaws to it. Huh. Um, and as you get into the habit of that, that's where all of your level unlocks, ten, or all, all of your um, your skill items are. Like, for example, you get the ability to turn invisible for three seconds, or you get the ability, or invincible rather, for three seconds, or the ability to... Uh, throw a a bouncy ball that bounces all over the level, um, and and you get all these from the same merchant guy. But he shows up in the middle of a level, and then that's where you spend your money. Um, and if you miss the, the secret, you can still go back to town and after you beat the level, and then he'll sell you whatever you missed. Um, 
but it, it, that's how you get your your upgrades and your your, your new uh, weapon abilities, your dash abilities, your all the things that 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 uh, like they would be in a Mega Man game. That's that's where you get them is from from buying them, and so that that kind of incentivizes the loot as well as of course the the uh, the the health and and the the magic upgrades. Huh. Um, also, armor and new shovels and. Uh, the diversity of those things. You can go to Armor Town and get all those things. Uh, also, there's there's the occasional um, you can't get into an area because you have to pay a, a gatekeeper or um, you have to... Uh, there's always an incentive on using your money. There's there's always... Uh, it's obvious that money is, is what keeps the Shovel Knight world working. Um, and, and so you never feel like you're, you're acquiring wealth for no reason whatsoever. Um... And that, that 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 made me really really happy. And there's only like I think there's only like eight bosses, and and the way that everything just all comes together and like the the story is a little bit rote, but there's some surprises in there. Um, and the way that everything comes together and 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 uh, complements each of the characters and huh. it's 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 just really well done. Um, I can't say that there's any any uh, any area of Shovel Knight that is not well done. Which is good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that and that's the core. It's not nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. It's it's here's some core constraints because we love this age of gaming. And here's a couple of, of present day sensibilities like the Dark Soulsisms. Um and then and that and that just wraps the whole thing up in a nice like six to eight hour package. Um and and then of course you can get your new game plus. And yeah. and and the bo- the final boss fight, like I'm not gonna lie, like I I did have a little bit of trouble figuring out how to how to do the lost lost boss boss battle, blah blah blah. <laughs> lost boss battle. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, to turn into Cthulhu in the middle of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, but man, yeah, shovel knight. Well, obviously, I'm gonna pick this up at some point, but yeah. So that's 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 really high on my list. Um, have you been playing anything else? What, what what else did you get on your Wii U that you really really loved? Uh, I played a little bit of Pikmin Three. Yeah, it's yeah? Pikmin. It's Pikmin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, well, that's part of my my concern with with Pikmin Two is like I'm not I'm really not into RTSs, but there is the the charm of uh, oh, feeling very... like you're you're uh, an insect in a garden, um, in human form, and you're picking out these mythical little creatures. Um, but it's very charming. Very charming. Yeah. Um, is there anything else about it that you've come to like? Uh, I don't know. I haven't played enough to really say. But it's just... Pikmin has always been kind of iffy for me. I bought all of them for whatever reason, but I've never, like... They never really capture me in the way other games do. So... Yeah. I just kind of... You know what? I've got to finish one of them at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, understood. I mean, that, and, that, and that's the thing. Like, I never finished the first Pikmin. The second one was really nice, but I didn't. I didn't have the. I didn't feel like sinking my time into it either. I mean, that's just my problem because I don't like. I don't like the 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 uh, RTS component of games. Like, I don't like feeling like I don't know what all my units are doing at any given time. Or you don't like RTS light mechanics, kind of like this. Yeah, I mean, they feel kind of imprecise to me. It's, I think those are just my personal preconceptions of the genre, though. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, but I'm also not. I'm also averse to RTSs altogether. So, like, that's that's one of those things on my end. But I, I do understand the the nuance of that. Yeah. What else was I playing? Oh, Nintendo Land. That's a fun little tech demo. Not much yeah, to it, say. It's that, well, the, the nice thing about tech, Nintendo Land is that it, it actually shows reasons why you would want to use the Wii 
like the system. Yeah, and then like no games use it. Yeah, it's super weird. Like the only game that I can think of that really uses the gamepad with the system and stuff like that is like Zombie U and and <laughs> That's so know, weird. It's it's the worst worst game title ever. I, I think that uh, it, I think the appropriate title is Zombie U. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's made by um, French people, so you know. I think uh, what do you call it? Wind Waker HD uses the accelerometer for uh, aiming in first person. That's cool. He's with the little touchscreen. So there are a lot of things that it uses it for, but there's not a lot of games that use it as either a primary element or take advantage of it in any way. Yeah. Other than a map screen or something. You know, it's like having a DS at home. Hmm. Which yeah, is that makes, that makes sense. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it, it, I mean, like, that, that, that does seem to be largely the appeal of the Wii U. What, one other game that, that I'd, love, I'd love to share about, actually, the one thing that I've been doing right now, and I've noticed this is a really weird trend, is I'm playing games from people from other countries that are very distinctly about their uh, their nationality or people group, um, and in and, and ways that are very different. Um, like, like there's there's three games, and I'll, I'll I'll break out and maybe talk about each individual one. But like, for example, one one that's that's maybe not so obvious, but everyone seems to have heard of is Valiant Hearts. Um, Valiant Hearts, of course, has you're playing as an American, uh, a Belgian, a Frenchman, and uh, a German, but it's very distinctly and very clearly all set within France. Um, like the, the core, I mean, I haven't finished the last, uh, the last two chapters, but the, it seems like everything in it is very distinctly from a French perspective and kind of like an homage to, um, French history, uh, and, and really bringing you up on like area, like, like for me, I'm, I'm not the most world war one knowledgeable, um, so a lot of the news about, you know, different cities where the battles were, were waged and, and stuff like that, like, that's all news to me in a lot of ways. Huh. Um, but it's it's still very, very clearly French, and that's significant considering Ubisoft's done a, a ton of games that have had, like, a French feel, like Rayman, um, but they've never explicitly de- dealt with Frenchness um, or, like, the actual nuance of their country itself. Um, and I think that that's kind of significant in, in terms of, of game design. As I mean, I'm just noticing it as I'm playing other games that also do the same thing. Um, like uh, the other two games, one, one of the other ones that I'm playing is Abyss Odyssey, which, which I definitely want to talk about, um, which, which of course is made by a Chilean game developer, the Chilean game developer Ace Team, and very specifically deals with Chilean lore and um, the, the, the Chil- Chitean... Uh, people group, I believe, uh, Chitean mytho- mythology, which is the uh, the first peoples in in Chile, um, and uh, just just kind of like the what they bring to the table that's very different from any other kind of mythologies. Um, that was the Xeno Clash guys, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so they, it's out there. <laughs> it's it's it is, but not half as much as as Xeno Clash. Like Xeno Clash. Uh, was visually unsettling to look at. Like you'd be fighting a dude who's wearing nothing but a cod piece, and he's like red all over his midsection, and like has <laughs> has like his brain like partially showing. Like, I, okay, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just it's just an and, and and then your next fight is with a cow, and then they're trying to like poke their udder on you or something. It's it's very very uncomfortable to play Xeno Clash, but with in contrast, Abyss Odyssey is is uh actually really like like it's the one game that i really want to be playing right now because it's um of a a roguelike with it's basically what would happen if you were to make something like a descending roguelike like spelunky with uh smash brothers and a little bit more of a robust fighting game 
Um, that is a weird, weird combo, but it, it, it is work? a weird does combo, but yeah, it really, really does work. Like, I feel like as I'm playing, like I'm constantly learning how to, uh, respond to the enemy. The enemy AI in it is really, really smart. Like I go to hit a boss and, and just at the right moment they'll dodge. And so I have to, I have to think about how do I get them to, to dodge and where they're going to be as they come out of the dodge. So I can hit them at that moment and try to initiate a combo. Um, and that, that sort of like, how to outsmart your foes kind of preoccupation of a fighting game plays into uh, this, this, this game at, at a lot of levels. Um, but it also has a cooperative, uh, cooperative mode. It also has a versus fighting, like traditional fighting game mode. Um, and I just, just, just unlocked uh, one of the, the, the third of the three playable characters. The playable characters are really weird. There's Katrien, who's your, your fast female fighter character, and she's the, the default um, she, she is the, the default character. And then you have the monk who is kind of like a, uh, for lack of a better term, a, uh, he's just like a combination of all the, the, the people who have fallen in, in the abyss all combined into one person. So he's just like a, a mess of souls. It's weird. And then, and then you have, uh, the Pinkoya who's basically, um, kind of like a, she's, she's like a mythical creature that's just kind of naked. Um, <laughs> That's uh, so bizarre. Yeah, um, and she has like a giant um, halberd, and that and, and those are those are your three main, main playable characters. But there's there's tons of uh, it's a rogue light in the sense that when you die, you retain your character's progress. So that like if they're level, you just got to level thirteen, you stay level thirteen. Um, and so there's there's this incentive to constantly develop your characters and constantly grow um, and unlock things in the game. Um, and it's super forgiving. Like when you die. You, you get a, uh, a support character to take over for you and one chance to get to a shrine to, rev- to revive your main character. Um, it, it's just surprising that there's so many uh, aspects of the forgiveness quality uh, to, but that is not in most roguelike games. Usually when your health bar reaches zero, you're, you're dead for, for good. Um, but this one has a lot more grace than, than most, which is huh. That's probably surprising. because fighting is more difficult than it would be in other games of a simple uh, type. Somewhat, yeah. I mean, like, well, especially once you get to boss battles. The boss battles are really, really, really skill oriented, um, and and I, I haven't actually beat any of the 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 iconic bosses yet. But but I got to one, and, and it's like, all right, this guy fills up half the screen, and <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna just keep working on it, and I know that I'm not quite well prepared for it. But um, yeah, anyway, the Abyss Odyssey is really, really good, and it very di- di- distinctly deals with uh, that people group's lore. And then the other one that I was playing is unrest which just came out yesterday and that one is all about uh the the civil unrest of ancient india and it takes place in india and um is about uh it's it's kind of a no-win social uh inhabiting people role-playing game Uh, i'm doing a terrible job of explaining but it's (laughs) like so so imagine that that a traditional crpg like uh I don't know, something like Baldur's Gate wasn't about, like, killing guys, but it was actually about um, making the right decisions. Or not the right decisions, but, like, no-win decisions. And instead of playing as, like, a fighter or something along those lines, you play as a 15-year-old Indian girl who is being set up for an arranged marriage. Huh. This is a very (laughs) strange concept. Yeah, so, I mean, like... Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, oh, there's Ted. Yeah, Ted's yeah. Here. I, I, I came on right when Josh was talking about naked women or something. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. But, uh, so, uh, so this is uh, unrest in India, but people are clothed in this game, right? Yeah, pe- people are all, all the all the people are clothed in unrest, um, and <laughs> <laughs> it, it is uh, what, what I would describe it as uh, an Indian uh, computer role playing game, top down, where uh, all your decisions are really, really important, and combat is an option, but it's always meant to be avoided. Or not meant to be avoided, but it's 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 usually a better option to try to avoid combat than than end up having to kill people. Considering, um, just like real life, you don't really want to end up in a in a brawl. <laughs> so it's a non-violent oriented game. Uh, I think so. I think so. I think that sense tends to be the orientation of it. Um, but it, it's definitely about like the, the reason why it's called unrest is because it's it's dealing with uh, the, the the higher classes and the slums of of India. And how the people in the slums are very, very unhappy with the the, the ruling elite, and uh, how the the society at large is working. So people are turning towards riots and violence, and you're trying to quench that in some way, shape, or form from a variety of different people's roles. Yeah, so, so you're it, sort of being like Gandhi or something. Uh, may, well, sort of, except for the fact that you're constantly changing what character you're playing as. And and like oh. I said, like I, I found myself suddenly as a fifteen year old girl, and that was after being a princess and a Nagi emissary, which is uh, a snake people. So um, I'm not quite sure how they fit into the. the certainly, they don't fit into the history of, of India, but they definitely fit into the, the mythology. <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretty sure the snake people are not historical. I would have to guess. It's, it's, a, it's, a, fa- it's a fair guess. <laughs> Yeah, that, that I don't seems know, to be. Like people back in Genesis somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they actually they actually are descendants of the the uh, serpent in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, um, it's right there. Which which is right there in in the uh, the, the Hindu history of and they the, became the Edomite. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I'm, I'm I was just Ted. I was just explaining that like for whatever reason it seems like a weird trend that I'm playing these three games that are all uh, ethnocentric in a positive sense, like. That they're, right. they're about these these different people groups and country, uh, from different countries who are providing a voice into the into the the culture of video games that distinctly brings their own background into the equation, um, and that also includes vagrant uh, vagrant uh, yeah not vagrant valiant hearts, um, which is very distinctly French. Oh yeah yeah that's one one of the ones I've been playing so yeah. Did you did you finish it by the way? I'm on, I'm still on the final chapter. I have to be honest. At this point, I'm playing it just to finish it. I'm not playing it because I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm starting to get a little bit to that point too because the story, the 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 actual events of the game feel like they're dragging on a little bit. Wait, what game is this? <laughs> Val- Valiant Hearts. Oh, it's there the, we go. Yeah, the, the Ubisoft, the Valiant Hearts, the Great War. It's the the World War One. Okay. Yeah. Um, adventure. Uh, I've heard adventure it's a game. very rote puzzle game with bizarre nonsensical solutions i don't know if i'd, I'd agree to to the, the fullness of that just because like I, I feel like some of the, the puzzles are really really well designed in the sense that like um like streamlined i guess is a better way of putting it than than to say well designed because i i don't like the obtuseness of adventure games and literally having no idea what i'm trying to do and i think that right. does a good job of, exp- of of indicating and giving you fair clues on how to solve the puzzles. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would say it's not particularly hard to solve yeah. the puzzles, but you you do have to solve them. You have to do them. Yeah. 
and that, and that does seem to be a, sort of a weird weird component to a game about the 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 horrors of war. Uh, whereas, like you know, so like like you're finding artifacts of World War One, and it's giving you these right. these indications where it's like. Did you this? You know, people were so disoriented at this point in the war that they were doing this thing or that thing, and you know they were making they were making uh, tobacco cases out of out of ammunition shells, and they were just trying whatever they could to stay stay warm. And meanwhile, you're you're trying to uh, find the perfect combination of of uh, trying trying to solve a number puzzle or something like that. Like, and you know exactly what you <laughs> yeah. need, you need to do, but the the yeah. you you aren't personally disoriented and in the shoes of a soldier in world war one in the sense that like you're not sharing quite the same experience you still feel like you're having a game designed for you and and there, there's there's, strength there's like one puzzle where i had to put on a german uniform then put on a police uniform then put on a uh, high ranking you it was a lot of uniform changes to get what i wanted which is yeah. okay but i was just kind of like oh please just let me get what i need so i can keep going on this game yeah yeah or, or the one where you're in the prison camp and you have to find the uh, the pipe for the the uh, the chef so you can get the um, yes. the thing so you can get the yes. thing so you can get the thing that so, that gets the thing so that you can finally get the the, the <laughs> fence cutters to get <laughs> out of the, the prison. Camp. Want, just wants clean socks, so you got to go find a dirty sock, and then you got to wash it, and then you got to dry it, and then you got to you know it's just. Uh, but all I mean, that said, it's still not a horrible game experience. It's just yeah. it's okay. Honestly, one of the things that I thought that was kind of novel about it, just because I, I haven't seen it done before, is that the dog isn't a playable character. He's a he's a directable character, so right. um, you can send him to different areas where you can't quite fit into, and tell him to pick something up for you and grab it, or to move something around, or push a lever that you wouldn't be able to push yourself. So it creates a um, a very clear sense of um, an AI driven character that that you can you can kind of boss around, and, and it doesn't feel inappropriate um i do love the dog yeah the, the dog is probably the, the the smartest part of the game design um yeah, i agree and, and and also the 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 cutest part of the game design <laughs> <laughs> so cute he is cute and he and there's this thing where he finds his uh old master and that was touching and then i yeah. think he lost his old master shortly after that but <laughs> <laughs> sorrowful that's, 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 a, that's a spoiler, Ted. Oh, it was a spoiler? Okay, now we got to put spoiler tags with this, Ted. Oh, <laughs> come on. I didn't, know that, I didn't know that channel was a spoiler. Oh, by the way, the Germans lose the war. Oh. <laughs> spoiler. Dang it. Dang it. Who? Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I should just go back to driving my car to work instead of uh, participating in this. <laughs> Even though you're already at work. <laughs> yes, I am. What a crazy day, guys, if I may vent. It's just been one of those crazy days where I thought I had my morning all set and my wife said, You can't do that podcast. You've got you've got to be at such and such a place to uh, get the glass fixed on the windshield of a car. Oh, I was like it's like ten to twelve and she's like, No, it's eight to ten. I'm like, Oh man, I didn't even say God bless America. I was so upset. <laughs> that's a pretty good exp- expletive. I like that. I'm yeah. gonna... <laughs> and that fits in with Valiant Hearts because, you know, America entered the war in 1917, I think. Yeah, I haven't gotten quite. I haven't, I'm, I'm still at 1916. 
So I, I haven't gotten quite to the point where. Yeah. So, um, Ted, have you been playing any other games? Yeah, I have been playing a couple. Uh, one is just a game that I want to say that I beat because I rarely beat things. And I did play from beginning to end Tomb Raider Definitive Edition on the Xbox One. Uh-huh. So amazing. I could see the strands of hair and the and the character of her hair on her or something. I don't know what the, made it so definitive, but um, <laughs> I did actually beat that game, though. Uh, and not only that, I went back and collected every GPS and every oh. artifact. And oh, every that's doctor. crazy. Wow. So Those GPS things were everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that was, there was a couple that were really tough, and I had to look them up online, but it was just one of the things, I just, I sort of reached this point of being so powerful as her, with explosive arrows, and, and yeah. kind of ability to kick butt, that uh, I just didn't want to leave the island, I kept, uh, The 21-year-old harbinger of death, college student that's girl. That's what I became, <laughs> a harbinger of death. I am I had, Laura, destroyer of worlds. I had a, a friend who who had, had asked on Facebook, should I play Far Cry 3 or should I play uh, Tomb Raider? And I'm like, well, in both of them, you're both playing as as uh, college students who become... Homicidal maniacs? Homicidal maniacs. So, <laughs> I mean, it really is, you know, six and one half dozen another, you know, like it's... <laughs> well, there is one key difference. Yeah. Is... One is a first-person game, and one is third-person. That's true, but that's the only difference. Uh, and and yeah. and one is technically "quote unquote" open world, and the other one is is uh, a little bit more gated. Um, but yeah, it it still is one of those weird things that like within like five months, those two games came out back kind of back to back, and were like the the big games that everyone was talking about. Yeah, yeah. and I know behind the times a little bit, but but because I played the definitive edition, I'm a little more current. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are you are way more current, and plus you can see exactly how Laura glistens. <laughs> She's glistening, <laughs> or 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 bleeds from the gut because because of uh, getting impaled or 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 uh, Her not. Her blood eating. glistens. Yeah, because <laughs> you want to see exactly how disgusting everything is in that game. <laughs> yeah, I did. For the first time, I started to use the record that feature on the Xbox One. Yeah? Where you can tell it to record the last 30 seconds of game play, just so you can show it to somebody. Because I was like, man, I killed the main boss, and I killed him bad. I mean, I like, I like <laughs> that in the head and, and ripped the brain out of him or something. I don't yeah, know what yeah. I, that, that was the part that made me a little bit uncomfortable, was how much... How much of the time Laura was plumbing dudes' brains? Wow, this sounds horribly violent. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not joking. Like the reason, I mean, we, I wrote that that theology gaming article a little while back about like the the, the depressing nature of the game uh, in Tomb Raider. That is, and and just like how weird it is that like that's it kind of trains you to ignore the fact that you're like crawling around in in uh, un unbiodegraded uh, carcasses um, and. And suddenly, like plumbing dudes' brains, like I don't, I don't understand why that's a thing. It's not so much. I don't fun. understand. Like the original <laughs> Tomb Raiders were, which are more James Bond esque, I would have to say. Yeah, that's Campy, true. Can't be lighthearted, but this is like braining dudes is a little different. 
Yeah. Well, it's not like I didn't bring guys all the time. Matter of fact, it was just at the end. But uh, I did wonder where did all these dead people come from? Because there's so many skulls and carcasses all over that island. I mean, it's like an entire nation moved there and got destroyed by this weather goddess or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that was the thing that was really disorienting about to me about the, the level design is that or, or the actual like environmental design rather, is that there's just so much death everywhere that someone needed to press the subtlety button a little bit more. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> the subtlety button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little over the top, but still fun. Yeah, Definitely. yeah. It's cool that you went and collected everything. That reminds me that, that really points out that aspect of the game was probably my favorite just from like a, a Metroidvania component. Like you just feel like you're trying to find things so you can upgrade her. And I thought that was kind of smart. Yeah. And I didn't do every single thing. Like there's a thing where you can look for bird eggs and there's nothing where you, you burn something every, every, <laughs> at every level. You know, there's more, but I, I've done enough. And I yeah, thought yeah. about doing multiplayer just to get some achievements in that. But, you know, a multiplayer, I get scared. So, yeah, I, understood. I'm in the multiplayer world. I heard that the multiplayer in that is isn't near, isn't really that that polished. I mean, like I played it for a little bit and I just wasn't connecting with it at all. Huh. But right. Yeah, well, it is kind of like tacked on multiplayer in a little bit. Yeah. And plus, it's it's actually relatively similar in some sense. Like you have very similar weapon weapons to uh, the Last of Us multiplayer, uh, which most people don't talk about considering, you know, it's not the, the highlight of the last of us, but that was actually really, really well done. Like the, the last of us, uh, like you feel like you're really a part of the, the competing hobo factions that want to just beat each other with rusty pipes and stuff. <laughs> Every time you talk about this game, it makes me laugh more than it makes me go. This is serious art. <laughs> hobo combat. Yeah, I mean that was that was the thing for that year, wasn't it? Like all games were like like last year were like all hobo like yeah. serious games. Like Lara Croft could definitely fall into that category. Yeah, jungle hobo combat. Jungle hobo combat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Podcast title. Okay, I nailed it. I'm done. I'm done. Mike, drop. high five, guys. <laughs> all right, now I have to talk about the uh, a game. I'm embarrassed to say that I've been playing. Where it's sort of been a, a all-consuming passion in my spare moments when I'm not playing Dark Souls, and that is a game on the PlayStation Vita called Destiny Spirit America. <laughs> Have either of you heard of that? What is it called? Destiny Spirit America. Uh, yeah, Americas. I'm sorry, Destiny of Spirit America. There, there we go. I got the name exactly what right. What is this? Thing. Well, first of all, it's free. All right? Okay. So, so that's part of it. Uh, the second part of it is that it's free. No, that was the first part. Um, it is essentially a turn-based combat game where you have creatures that fight against other creatures. It almost sounds like Pokemon when I describe it like that. But um, the only way that your little creatures can level up is by merging with other creatures. So you're always hunting, looking for, purchasing. By purchasing, I mean with within the game, not not with actual money. Uh, 
other monsters really only so they can be consumed and you can make the ones that you're developing into larger, greater monsters. It's the most simple concept, but yet it's all touchscreen based. So, you know, I have this awesome Vita with all these buttons and analog joysticks and I am playing a game that essentially should be on an iPhone or a droid phone, but it will never be because it's owned by Sony and they need people to play the Vita. <laughs> this yeah. sounds a lot like Puzzle and Dragon. I'm not sure if that's Puzzle, really that, that one much. game. What? What's, what's Puzzle and Dragon? Is it a single game? Puzzle and Dragon is like a combination of a match three puzzle game with Pokemon. Um, well, there's no match three element. Okay, so that part is not obviously there. <laughs> yeah, it, right. it looks it looks to me kind of like a uh, like you're simulating a tabletop uh, game experience of sorts, a turn based yeah, tabletop or, game or a card based game, maybe. Yeah, and because I haven't done a lot of that, so that's why I I I can't quite find the words to describe it. Yeah, but it is one of these things where. You, when you're away from the game a little bit, your characters heal up and, and charge up. So you you can go back into the battle again. So again, it's perfectly suited for my life in which I I can't sit down for hours and play a game. I, but I can pick this up. I can do it for about 10 minutes and then put it down. And by the time I put it down and come back to it, it is, you know, recharged, refreshed, and ready for me to kick some more butt instead huh. of playing it to the point where everything is worn down. All my characters, you know, as you're in battle, they lose health and such. Yeah. Huh. The art, the art looks really, really pretty. I mean, yeah, it's good art. It's again, it's not a great game, but, um, there, there is the fact that it's free and <laughs> yeah. I'm actually playing it, uh, uh, my Vita. So there's, there's something to that. Yeah. It reminds me of, what is it? Marvel Avengers Alliance. It has that kind of three versus three format. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't have to be three versus three. I could actually have four on my team, and when one dies, you know, the, the fourth one can jump in. It depends on how, yeah, how I arrange the team. Uh, and, of course, there's these elements involved, and some elements are stronger against other elements, so you have to always be aware of that. That probably is like a most games out there too, but it's new to me. <laughs> yeah, if it's and new to you, another, it's new. <laughs> another element is when I go into the game for that day, it tells me, "Oh, by the way, this particular element is lucky today, or this particular element is unlucky today." So there are certain days maybe where you have uh, a creature that is going to be especially powerful. Hmm. And uh, you can also request help from friends and trade from friends and that sort of thing. Not that I have any friends, but, <laughs> but it's a nice concept. So, so there we go. So I wanted to talk about Destiny of Spirits, and it has consumed some of my life. <laughs> it also gives you an incentive to actually carry a Vita on your person. <laughs> Dude, I carry it. Well, you know what? I always forget it. So it seems like whenever I think about playing it, I left it at work. Or if I feel like playing it at work, I left it at home. So <laughs> I, it sounds like I need two of them. Two readers. Yeah, buy another one. Sony would love you. <laughs> and then I will double their international sales. <laughs> oh, no. 
So cool. How how about as has uh, Zachary talked about what he's been playing? Yeah, he was he was talking about some of his Wii U stuff, but uh, I, mean, I think that he has he has yeah. more that he can do. I have one more game that I've been playing extensively. I'm not going to talk about Wonderful 101 because I really haven't played enough to really say anything about it. That sounds important. Okay. <laughs> but I will talk about the game that I, I did play. And finish. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. Stop interrupting, Ted. <laughs> Stop. All right, I'm going to just be quiet. Be quiet. Snake Eater? Did you play Snake Eater? What? Or solid? Did yeah, you play Metal Gear Solid. I played through it last week. Okay. So you already talked about that, didn't you? Yeah, it's kind of strange that I'm playing it 16 years out from its original release. Oh, so you just played the original original for the, PlayStation One? Yeah, because I my plan is to play through all of them, leading up to Ground Zeroes. That okay. Way at least I have some kind of perspective. You mean leading up to Phantom Pain? Well, I haven't played Ground Zeroes yet, so that's what I. Oh, yeah. No, I mean like you have you, have, but you haven't played any of the others either, have you? I played. I have a weird thing. I played through Metal Gear Solid Two first. Okay. And never played anything else. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So everything that is weird and postmodern and meta commentary on Two was lost on me. Yeah, I well, I think it was lost on everybody. <laughs> but. Now that I'm playing it, I see kind of where the influences came from. And Metal Gear Solid is still pretty fun. Yeah. There are segments of it that have aged poorly, such yeah. as the tower climb with the guns. Ooh, and, yeah. And the lack of uh, good auto-aim, which is yeah. the dumbest. I hate the dumbest. <laughs> yeah. Or the part where you have to throw a billion shaft grenades to avoid turrets. But other than that, it still holds up pretty well for being a PlayStation game with no talking faces and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy the battle with Psycho Mantis? I did enjoy the battle with Psycho Mantis. Yeah, that that one was one of the highlights for sure. Yeah, although I didn't have any memory of I didn't have any Castlevania saves on my memory card, so sad. <laughs> He's like, I can't. Did it, yeah, did it look for game saves? Did it do that that standard thing or? Yeah, he goes, I'm going to read your mind now. And then he looks for Konami game saves and such. So, like, if you have... So, if you have, like, Symphony of the Night or Silent Hill save data or uh, Pro Evolution Soccer or something, he'll, like, comment on it. What system did you play it on? I played it on PlayStation 3. So, the controller swapping thing was weird, but... Were you able to do it? Yeah, you just go into the... You press the PlayStation button on the controller, and then you can actually change what controller port it is in the menu. I think this okay. only applies to PlayStation 1 emulation, but it worked. So. Cool. cool. Yeah, so it was cool. weird to me. Just playing Metal Gear, it was, it's surprisingly old school, Metal Gear Solid, at least when you're playing it. I mean, the yeah. cutscenes and stuff, obviously, were way beyond everything that was in there, because it's in-game cutscenes, and... That was something that was innovative back in the day. But in terms of actually playing the game, it's more like an actual 2D game. I played most of the game using the digital pet controls and not the animal. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Really? Yeah, and so... Well, yeah, that's what it was designed for, yeah. Yeah, and it just, it really is a glorified puzzle game. I mean, there's short-sighted guards and all this stuff. But it's basically like, here is a room have the radar now figure out where you're supposed to go and then you just kind of weave your way in it's really fast and really snappy i mean a lot of stealth games now are just kind of look and wait but metal gear is really fast 
and that was surprising too. I I would call it arcade. I hesitate to say that, but it's very much a fast-paced game about just maneuvering your way through multiple obstacles. Yeah. Yeah. And the first one was the best at that. As the series went on, it seemed like it was less and less about that, more about the story. Yeah. I think there's a lot of meta commentary going on there and not making the game as fun intentionally. But (laughs) in terms of this first one, it's a lot of campy fun and also postmodern fourth wall breaking, accusing you of enjoying violence sort of thing. Which is all a lot of fun and also interesting to think about. But, I mean, there are flaws with, you know, the aiming controls have not aged well at all. You have to press triangle and square at the same time during the end sequence to aim because there's no, like, dual analog controls. But, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Metal Gear Solid is still fun to play. Yeah. Cool. Well, after you've played about three or four of them, I want you to make a recommendation to me about which one to play. Play the first one and then work your way up. You've already you've already decided that. Well, yeah. Go. Well, you don't because it's a continuous story, so you don't want to play them out of order. Well, you, you can. I mean, you you start with three. Three is the oldest. Oh, but three is kind of cheating because it does. I I understand that it's a prequel and such, but like the first game is the first game and all this retconning is really kind of changing the dynamic of it but I guess you could play it first but it will make the other games seem different by comparison oh yeah yeah so like if you want to play whatever the original Metal Gear experience was you probably either want to play Solid or Metal Gear 2 and I haven't played Metal Gear 2 but I hear it's really similar to Solid so mm. there you go Theology Gaming Recommendation by right. Metal Gear Solid <laughs> <laughs> Play Metal Gear Solid to us, yeah. the first one on the PlayStation 1. Yeah, right? don't play the Twin Snakes reboot because they re-recorded all the voice acting and they basically break the game by adding first-person aiming, so without changing anything. And it's downloadable for purchase from the PlayStation Network? I believe so. I think it's like $10. I don't know why. How'd you get it? I bought it on eBay. In a nice shiny DVD case, so it fits with all my other. Oh, you got a disc. Yeah. With you played a PlayStation One game on your PS3. Yeah, with a disc. <laughs> I could stick a PlayStation One game in my PS3, and it'll work. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it has PlayStation One emulator in it. Yeah, it, it, it's ironic that you can do that, but you can't do PlayStation Two. Yeah, unless you have a the fat one from forever ago. I had no idea. Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I have you no have to create a memory card on the system, but other than that, you're golden. You can just plug it right into place. Yep. Wow. Okay. Revelations. <laughs> yeah, it is. This revelation is right. I always learn something from the Theology Gaming Podcast. Yeah. So technically, you can have every Metal Gear game if you have a PS3, or every main Metal Gear Solid game. Because if you buy the original Metal Gear Solid and the HD collection... And then Metal Gear Solid 4, you'll have, like, every game that you need for the initial set. And then you can download also uh, uh, Ground Zeroes. Yeah, which is overpriced right now, but I'm going to assume it's going to drop in price again. It'll be free eventually for uh, PlayStation Plus. Yeah, it's like an hour of... It's an hour long, right? (laughs) Something like that. Well, it it depends upon how, how much you suck at stealth games. Yeah, or oh, I really suck at them. It took me. It took me like two hours 
and I thought that I was doing terrible the entire time and, and taking way too long. So it reminds me a little bit of Peace Walker from what I've seen. So uh, yeah, it, it, it plays way more like Peace Walker, but the controls are, are still are still better. Um, and that's that's actually the best part about it is that the controls are better, except for the fact that they're still Metal Gear controls. So there's some dumb things that are like not con- smart conventions, like. Why do I when I press this button do I suddenly like lie down on the ground instead of jump? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is like weird because I've never played any of the ones that are like Snake Eater, so I have no context at all. I've only played the arcadey stealth action of Solid One and Two, so that's all I know. But when I get there, I'll, I'll have to actually see how I like it. I mean, I like Splinter Cell Blacklist, but that's kind of... Yeah, really yeah. Different. Well, I mean, I, I and that's the thing. Like, I really, really like Splinter Cell, and it seems like it borrows most everything from Splinter Cell, only except except for, like, intelligent button choices. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> it's also very anti-war, I would imagine. Or anti-Guantanamo Bay. Oh, it's, to- it's totally anti-Guantanamo Bay. It's just like, it's like why are, why are American soldiers doing these horrible, horrible, horrible things? Yeah. I like this weird tinge of Metal Gear kind of accusing you of being a bad person. I don't yeah. think enough games do that. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can empathize with that. Yeah, uh, Even the first game is like, it's kind of accusing you of enjoying violence. Even though the game is telling you to do this. Yeah, it's weird. It's backwards. Yeah, but... it's great. It's great. It's so postmodern. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, hey, you know, the, do this stealth action. It's awesome. And then the game's like, push the select button. Yeah, it, it literally says that. <laughs> it liter- The people literally talk to you. It's bizarre. Yeah, like, like when Revolver Ocelot is torturing you and trying to get you to give in so that he kills Meryl or whatever, and you're pr- he's like, press the X button to resist me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I plugged in an arcade joystick, and that's how I got past it without submitting. Oh, okay. oh crap. Am I doing spoilers for Ted? I d- Disregard everything That's we right. just said. <laughs> That's all. I'm sitting here playing Destiny of Spirits anyway, so I'm not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Good. I'm glad you're not paying attention, Ted. <laughs> but if you play no, here, don't I, look up anything. It's much more fun if you go in blind. All right. I'll take so. your word on that. I think that's actually the the a good a good point to start wrapping up. So the the, the one thing that we uh, introduced at the very beginning, Ted, was we were saying that you know what is what is the theology of play? Like why why do you uh, you know and realizing that we're kind of self justifying, but like what what how do you feel like like video games fit into your spiritual formation? Like what is your theology of play? Well, they're a form of rest to me, and certainly rest is a biblical concept. Yeah. Where you you know you take a break from the work, and I don't know about you guys. I have no problem with working. I mean, I do it a lot, but there is obviously you know the, the concept of Sabbath or or the seventh day or even the year of Jubilee, where where there's just some freedom and there's some time to uh, to rest and relax, and obviously. There's the spiritual element there of of, of taking time to, to to focus on your relationship with God and the other stuff like that. But it's also time that you spend with your family and even even on your own to uh, to recharge sometimes so that you can get back out there with life. So that's that's why I think fun exists. I'm kind of glad it does. 
Yeah. <laughs> I am glad fun exists. Yeah, me too. If, if yeah, I tried Britney Swift, then it would just be so not fun all the time. Forth. But I think that, that that what Ted says about um, just the, the value of fun and uh, what Zach was saying about um, we might not recognize that we, we're not having fun if we no longer had fun in our culture. Uh, however, there is still very much good to be had in celebrating that fact that we do have fun and can realize that it is okay. <laughs> yeah, it's all about balance and that sort of thing in life. And I'm sorry I wasn't paying attention, but uh, I was trying to merge some, some of my creatures on. i got to put this game away. I'm turning it off right now. <laughs> I'm unbalanced. So, I don't know what I agreed to that Zachary was saying, but Zachary was probably saying to me earlier, yeah, Ted, ass murdering is okay. I was probably going, uh-huh, yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> totally yeah. okay. It's a form of rest. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's good to have fun and laugh a little bit too, so. Stop, everybody, stop being so uptight. Yes, yes. <laughs> now you guys, anybody out there that's listening that's uptight, stop it. Smack stop him on the wrist. Stop it. Yes. Stop it now. <laughs> stop. So, that is the end of the podcast. <laughs> Speaking of stopping. And uh, we stop. thank you guys so much for listening to us. Um, is there anything else that you guys wanted to add as we uh, wrap up? If you want to talk to us, because we're a super fun part of people, go to the Archie Gaming University. <laughs> yes, where do I go to this party? Come join the party. What's it called? Theology Gaming University on Facebook? Yes. Can anybody go to there, or is it a closed group? Anybody can go to there. The party's open to everybody, y'all. Yeah, come on. Talk about the party game. <laughs> All right. Okay, I I'm think done. we need to wrap this up. I'm so, spent. I have nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to uh, subscribe to our show cause, cause, and think that we don't suck, uh, that'd be cool, I guess. We are full uh, of not sucking. I'm yeah, yeah. You right now. Give us... Give us a, a uh, five and a half star rating um, if you think this was the greatest thing ever. Yes. Um, if not, we're okay with just a five star rating. It's fine too, I guess. Yeah, please. Write a review. Write a review. Share with all your friends and yeah. subscribe. Or, or, or just continue to listen. That's fine too, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, or or what, I, what I would like is if, if you would, would give us money uh, so, so we can buy more video games so we can talk about them. Um, I like I like money to to spend on video games. Uh. <laughs> if you'd like to send us merchandise, <laughs> well, like uh, anyway, us, hey, if you'd like to send us merchandise or other kinds of things, please go to uh, three fourteen Farwood Drive, Haverhill, Massachusetts. I, I, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> that is not my real address. Yeah, you live in you live in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> a liar anyway so um yeah go, just just go to theology gaming university and tell us you want to give us stuff there that's fine um and uh we love you guys uh and uh we love you germany and we love you uh girls too um thank you again for listening what? No. <laughs> we love you girls. <laughs> i'm just saying like you know like not just not just guys because there could be ladies that listen to uh. <laughs> we love all the things 
All humans. All humans. And pets. We like pets too. We love all of Actually, you. Actually, they're babe. We really like you. <laughs> we love all of you. The end. The end. There's only one of us that's single, though. Yeah. <laughs> that would be me.